Giles and welcome back to Life Coffee and Frantic Hair Dye. This is episode two where we're going to have a wee chat about women in the workplace, generally women seeking work and some of the challenges that we can face at times, um, particularly particularly surrounding how we differ from our male counterparts. Now, I'd just like to start off by saying this isn't going to be a, a man bashing episode, absolutely not. It is more about how we can find more confidence. Some of the things that have came up that have caused me to have this thought. So let's get stuck in and let's get ready for episode two. I'm part of a coaching group which is run by coach and, I love this tagline, coach and professional rebel rouser, Meg Kazak. Now Meg has the Daily Pet podcast and she also has the Courage Makers podcast. Through them she has started the One Woman Band coaching group and it's essentially for creative women who want to try and get a little bit more out of themselves but in a safe and encouraging atmosphere so there's none of this toxic positivity or toxic productivity which is a new thing that I've learned through the the coaching group which I hadn't actually thought of it before but when we think about it we're, we're so often told that you know just be productive and the best thing you can be is productive but sometimes that's an awful lot to ask when you're not in the best headspace or even when you're just just not feeling great of a day it doesn't necessarily need to be a a long time when you've not been feeling wonderful it can literally just be for that one day I'm feeling like crap and I don't want to do anything that's okay <laughs> that's all right so part of the coaching group we were having a conversation one of the women the wonderful male mentioned that she wanted to get in touch with I believe it was a man that she worked with she was uncomfortable with just immediately saying hi this thing that we agreed that you were going to supply on this day, you haven't. So where is it? And instead, because of the preconceptions of how women should talk to men and how men are perceived in the workplace, she felt the need to kind of go around the houses a little bit and start off with, hi, really sorry to bother you. Oh, don't really want to step on your toes here, but remember that thing that we spoke about? Really sorry to bug you though. Yeah, I'd really appreciate it if. Really sorry to bug you, but why are we sorry? That's that's my, That was my biggest question throughout this, this whole discussion. Why are we sorry? We don't need to be sorry. If the tables were turned with a chap who was looking for something, he would get in touch with us and say, hi, Where's this thing? There's no need to be the little girl in front of our dad and say, no, I'm really sorry to interrupt because I know you're really busy. We're not a little girl anymore. <laughs> We're a grown woman in a workplace asking for something that should have been done. So the crux of what we were really saying was just because you are female or you present female does not make you any less valuable in your role or within your business than any man. You have the same amount of value. You are a valued employee. You also have the right to say, hi, what's happening with this? You're not anyone's mum. I mean, you might be a mum, but you're not anyone at work's mum, unless of course you work with your kids, which I can only imagine is stressful. <laughs> We're not there to mother people. We're not there to be overly conscious of, mm, I'm, I'm really aware that he's very busy. You're very busy. You're also very busy. 
I might even suggest you might be busier. So what we done was, between the group, we came up with a solution of what we should be saying in those scenarios. And it turned out to be pretty easy. The solution was, hiya. Maybe not hiya, I think that's quite a Scottish thing to say, but <laughs> hiya. We had a discussion last week. We set a date for X thing. I've noticed that it hasn't arrived yet, and I just wanted to know if you had an updated ETA. That's it. We're highlighting the fact that it's not came. We're highlighting what the date was meant to be, and we're also immediately asking for a new date. We're not blaming anyone. We're not forcing anyone to say, oh, that's totally my bad. We're just saying, this thing was due. I've noticed I've not got it. Can you please get it over here ASAP? And by asking for that updated ETA, we're pushing the, the ball back into their court by basically saying to them, yeah, this is now your responsibility and I kind of need you to fix it. So it takes the onus off of us as the asker and puts it on to the person who is supposed to be supplying us with whatever this thing is. What we kind of came to in that discussion was that as women, we're very often taught to be submissive. We should be apologising for interrupting a man's busy day. And that's absolutely not true. If you ever think about how many times, if you're a female listener or a female presenting listener, that you say sorry in a day, it can even be, I don't mean to interrupt, or does that make sense? When we say, does that make sense? What we're essentially saying is, I don't know if I've done this correctly and I want you to justify what I've said. We know that what we've done is correct, but we still feel the need to say, does that make sense? It does make sense because you know what? You went out, you researched it, you worked your arse off and you came back. So let's not try to diminish the hard work that we've done or step away from the confident people that we are and can be. So how do we navigate it? There's a few things that we can implement to try and boost our confidence within the workplace, to try and push us into a more confident mindset. One that I always felt was really silly until I started doing it <laughs> was actually recommended by Amy Cuddy, who is a social psychologist, and it's from her TED Talk, which is Your Body Language May Shape Who You Are. Amy suggests that before you go in for an interview or a big meeting, go into the toilet, this is going somewhere, <laughs> go into the toilets or go into a private room, stand as if you were going to do a jumping jack or stand in a, a Superman pose. So have both hands up in the air and your legs spread and make yourself as big as you physically can. And there's something caveman-esque about it where our brain says, I am big, I am powerful, I can do this. And if you do that for a minute, 30 seconds, preferably a minute, <laughs> that will give your brain a boost of, I am confident, I am big, I am the bravest here, I've got this. As silly as that sounds, before I've went into really difficult situations, I've done it, I've instantly felt more confident. According to Amy, this power posing, which is the making yourself big, it boosts your level of confidence and it will increase your chances of success. One of the things that Amy discusses is the fake it till you make it mindset. And by manufacturing that confidence, by using the power pose, 
you're starting to work into that fake it till you make it place. And that doesn't mean that you can't do the thing that you're planning to do. It just means that you're faking the confidence to convince yourself that you can, in fact, do it. So we know that we tend to over-apologise. That's just something that we do. But we also tend to overthink. Now, these might be things that you're listening to and you're thinking, Natalie, I know that I do this. (laughs) I am well aware. I don't need you to tell me. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Let's have a wee look at an article from Sanibel Consultant. They found that when men are applying for a job, they tend to meet only 60% of the qualifications, whereas women apply for a job if they meet 100% of them. Now, I've seen that differently in different places where it's been 95% or 96%. This one says 100%. The bottom line here is women tend to apply if they know for a fact they can do that job to almost 100% certainty, whereas men can do it to maybe 60%, and the rest is just sheer gumption (laughs) and sheer will to get the job. Now, this particular article from Senebel Consultant was looking at STEM majors. So STEM is science, technology, engineering and mathematics, which does tend to be a very male dominated area. From this study, they found that 12% of undergraduate women are STEM majors. That then, if we think about that, that means 88% of people majoring in science, technology, engineering and maths are men. Think think about that for a second and think about the population of the world and how many women. That's wild. That 12% of people majoring in science and technology and engineering and maths are women. Just just 12%. That blows your mind. So there's lots of reason, lots of reasons why this is so low. Often it's overlooked because there's a confidence gap between men and women when they're applying for education, for jobs or promotions. And that's not to say that men don't have confidence or don't doubt themselves, but they don't tend to let it stop them. And that's why men tend to apply when they only meet 60% of the qualifications. But women do want to over-exceed or make sure that there is a chance that they're going to get this job so that they're not taking that knocking confidence when they don't get it. There was a study conducted by Harvard within the STEM area which found in a computer science programme women with eight years, eight years programming experience are as confident in their skill level as their male counterparts with zero to one year of programming experience. Zero to one year in comparison to eight years of programming experience. Why is that? Why is that an issue? Sadly, it does fall into stereotypes. Women don't often assume confidence or they don't have that assertive trait that men have because that would be viewed as masculine. They don't tend to want to outshine one another or climb over one another necessarily, and they don't want to grab too much attention. And these are all historically male traits. This is not to say that every woman doesn't have confidence or isn't applying for a job unless she has 100% experience. Um, It's not to say that all men are applying for jobs and they only have 60% experience and none of them are 
unconfident or nervous about going for it. None of that is true because everyone is different and that is the whole point of stereotypes. Everyone is completely different. We can't we can't look at these statistics and say that me as a person and you as a person, if you're female, are the same because we both have vaginas. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is absolutely ridiculous. And as much as we have these statistics and as much as we have all these studies and all these amazing TED Talks and all these different things, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is like that. So everything that I am saying today, take it with a pinch of salt. It doesn't mean that you're like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm like that. It doesn't mean that Nancy down the road is like that. <laughs> so take it with a pinch of salt, but just know that this is the bigger picture. These are averages of situations that happen. And to be honest, while we are on the subject of gender stereotypes, can we just put them in the bin? <laughs> can we just get rid of them? We are now at a point, I go as far to say history, we're now in a point of history where we don't need gender stereotypes. We don't need the penny and the perfectly done hair with the, the dinner on the table at exactly 5pm so that when your husband comes in the door as the, the breadwinner, you are there to greet him with a smile and a full face of makeup. <laughs> because if you are a stay-at-home mum, you don't have time for a full face of bloody makeup. <laughs> You've got so much going on. You've got children running about. There are, there is a lot to do when you, I, I am not a stay-at-home mum. I'm not a mum, full stop. That, that life is, it's stressful. It is basically a full-time job. It, do you know what? It's not basically, it is a full-time job. It is a full-time job. We're seeing more and more that, it's not just women doing that now. We're now seeing more and more stay-at-home dads, which is an incredible place to be, an incredible time to be in. But we're seeing more of stay-at-home dads and men taking more responsibility for kids. But a lot of the world and a lot of stereotypes and a lot of people need to catch up with that. And I suppose that's kind of what I'm what I'm really saying today is can we just bin these stereotypes? There's so much gender coding throughout life, from kids' clothing to the much hated and I despise them, gender reveals, right down to boys play with cars and girls play with dolls. Said who? Who made that rule? Who came up with that? I'm willing to bet it was a toy company. And you have two children, therefore you must have two completely gendered types of toys. You can't have the same types of toys for them. How would we make money? <laughs> now, all of that out of the way and said, women are 36% more likely to be hired for a role than men. That might not be shocking considering that women put more thought into it, I think. We're more likely to apply for something that we are definitely capable of doing because we have achieved 100% of that job criteria. Another big factor here as well that I think we should really think about when we're applying for roles, women are likely to request 
85 to 92% of the salary that men are asking for. So when you think about that, that means that we're getting paid 15% less if we're given the salary that we're requesting in comparison to a man. That does not mean that you're 15% less valuable in that role or you're 50%, 15, sorry, percent less capable of doing it. So when you're going for that job and you're requesting that salary, put that on top of what you're requesting. Think about it this way. You're going for a job and in your mind you're thinking, I'm going to ask for 30 grand. Ask for 34 and a half. That's 15% more than what you were thinking about. Or if we want to go for the lower amount, so let's say 8%, that would be 32,400. So that gives you the 8% on top of the 30 grand that you were thinking of. And that takes you within that area that most men are likely to ask for and less likely to undervalue yourself. So there's something else that can cause a bit of a crisis of confidence and that is the actual job description itself. Quite often it's written towards men. Um, it's quite an unconscious thing I think for a lot of people but it's something that's becoming more prevalent now that a lot of businesses are aware of the, the bias wording. There's been a lot of studies regarding how it's shown that women are less likely to apply if the wording appears to be masculine. So an example is, we are seeking a self-confident leader to drive aggressive sales growth, must be an independent individual with superior decision-making capabilities and a readiness to tackle challenges imposed by a competitive market. Now, I'm not in sales, but that just sounds terrifying. <laughs> I would not apply for that just on the basis that it actually sounds scary. <laughs> You'll find that a lot of startups will say things like, are you ready for a challenge? Are you ready to step out of the box? Are you ready for something that is different? And that's the opening of the job ad. Now, if you are applying for something and you are applying maybe for something different or you're just getting back into the world of work, that can really shake your confidence. It can make you second guess, am I ready? Um, am I ready to step out of the box? <laughs> Didn't realise I was in a box. <laughs> that in itself can be, it can be quite a lot. And that wording is very male orientated. You tend to find that men will gravitate towards that far more than a woman will. So there's a really interesting article on poolmanagement.co.uk written by Caitlin Powell and it found that women were being deterred from applying for jobs because of the masculine language used. So the hiring platform Applied conducted an analysis of 7,500 job adverts. They ran the wording of each through a gender score calculator, which is a tool that detects female coded language and masculine coded words, and it scored the job adverts according to that calculator. Now, the report found that when the employers reduced that masculine coded language and replaced it with feminine coded language or just neutral words, the proportion of female applicants was projected to increase by up to 54% according to their research. 54%. Now this was actually more prevalent in newer companies and startups. If we go back to thinking about women in STEM, now according to Forbes.com, there has been a 400, 400 
25% rise in the usage of the word ninja, and that's between January 2012 and October 2016. That word might make a job sound really exciting, a bit out there, a bit dangerous. What that actually says is, man, <laughs> if you summon the image of a ninja in your head, it is 99% of the time going to be a man. So immediately, that then dissuades a woman from applying, even just subconsciously. So I was having a Google and looking to see what we would consider masculine coded words and feminine coded words. Honestly, it made me quite angry. <laughs> so in a job description, the top 10 masculine coded words are oh, prepare to be annoyed, strong, lead, analysis or analyse and analytical, individuals, decisions, driven, competitive, expert, objectives and principles. Now these are words that are considered to be masculine, that men are considered to be good at. Now I'm sorry but <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the clip of Reese Witherspoon. She's talking about a specific line that comes up in movies very often. It's very unbelievable. And she's told her daughter about it and her daughter now looks out for it in movies and she highlights it every time it comes up. And the line is, a woman looks at a man in a crisis situation and says, oh my God, what should we do? <laughs> and she says, when has a woman ever looked at a man in a crisis situation and said, what am I going to do? What should we do? The majority of time, women are sitting down and going, okay, this is what we're going to do. There's so many things on our plate a lot of the time that we kind of just have to. We have to make a decision. And for some people that comes very easily. For me, that's not necessarily something that comes easily, but I am good in a crisis. I'm good in a stressful situation. And my brain just kind of goes into autopilot. So if we go into the feminine coded words, they are support, share, responsible, understand or understanding, together, committed, interpersonal, feel, collaborate or collaboration and connect. These are all have to have a bit of empathy, a bit of caring, a bit of love, you know, support, together, committed, feel, connect. These shouldn't just be feminine words. They should be words that anyone with a lick of empathy should be able to associate themselves with. The same as decisions, analysis, strong, lead, shouldn't be masculine words. But unfortunately, they are. And they have been for a very, very, very long time. So if we can get ourselves to a place where, as a society, not just you or I, where these words don't mean a male or a female, wouldn't that just be wonderful? There's a really interesting bit of work from a Canadian sociologist called Maya Yanovich. They believe that women tend to say sorry far too much. So she attended a conference four years ago and the four women on the panel who were experts in their field and had published hundreds of academic articles, dozens of books, and the first woman who took the microphone said, oh, I don't know what I could possibly add to this discussion. 
the second woman said, oh gosh, I, th I thought the, the email was sent to the wrong person. I'm just so humbled to be here. And the third and fourth woman said pretty much the same thing. Now, during the 25 panels that Yanovich attended in that week-long conference, not once did she hear a man apologise for being there or reducing the reasons that he'd been asked to speak and attend the conference. But every single woman who took the microphone had an apologetic tone, almost as if they didn't feel like they were worthy of being at that conference. And Yanovich said she found it enraging, but she also found it heartbreaking. Why do we feel the need to diminish ourselves? Why do we feel the need to make ourselves less than what we actually are? So I, I know for, for one that I am bad for this. And I think part of what I'm doing with this episode today is a bit of self-therapy. So for example, I received an email from a group called Fusia Wellness and they wanted to do an interview. Now, when they said we want to do an interview for you, eh, with you, sorry, for our um, Humans of Fusia project, immediately I thought the exact same thing as the first, the second woman, sorry, on the panel, which was, I think they've got the wrong person. Like, there's lots of Natalie Moores out there who have achieved some incredible things. I know because I get emails regularly that say, are you the Natalie Moore that wrote, oh, what was the one I got recently? Are you the Natalie Moore who has written this article about poverty and it's like child wellness somewhere in India. And I was like, no, no, I'm not, no. But that Natalie sounds amazing. <laughs> so when I got this email in, I immediately thought that can't be me because I, I looked at the Humans of, of Fusia website and the women on there are incredible. They are truly incredible. And when I had the kind of discovery call this morning, I had said the same thing again. Are you sure you want to talk to me? Are you sure it's definitely me you want to speak to? The girl I was talking to gave me a few a few facts back about myself and I was like, oh, oh, it is me you want to talk to. Are, are you still sure though? And it's so easy to undermine things that we've done and achievements that we've made without having to even think about it. So another um, example that Yanovich gave was her research assistant this is something that I think is going to resound with a number of people. It definitely did with me. A research assistant apologised to a pizza delivery driver. She said, oh my gosh, we live in a new subdevelopment. I'm so sorry. Did you have trouble finding the place? Why are we sorry for where we live? <laughs> why, why are we sorry for being somewhere that perhaps Google Maps doesn't necessarily pick up? That's not an issue. That's not my issue. That's Google Maps' problem. So there is a wonderful that Yanovich has raised in, um, in the ideas.ted.com article, which is a Chrome plugin called Just Not Sorry. And that will alert you to all of your needless apologies. Now, I have not tried it yet and I'm actually kind of scared to try it. So probably as I'm recording this, I'm going to download it. And over the next couple of days, I'm going to try adding it on to my Chrome. And I'm going to see just how often I needlessly apologise. I'm also going to have to use um, our workplace Slack on my Chrome browser, which I don't like doing, but I'll do it for you. <laughs> Hiya, pals. So uh, I done it. I done it for you. 
Um, I downloaded the Just Not Sorry extension and do you know I was kind of disappointed it has so much potential it's actually really really good if it worked on everything it works on gmail um, but only in the browser and I think it also works on 365 Outlook um, but to be honest I couldn't really get it to work anywhere else when it did work it worked brilliantly um, I wrote out a um, like just an example email saying sorry over and over again in needless places it also picked up does that make sense um i'm not an expert actually and a few other things it picked up actually because it it um noted that it's it makes it sound as if you're surprised at your own answer <laughs> as if you're surprised like oh actually i did do that so i suppose when you think about it like that that does make sense but I think it has it has the opportunity to be really good and unfortunately it's just not reached that yet. If this ever reaches the creators of Just Not Sorry, please release an update. Please <laughs> fix the bugs. Okay, let's go back. Now, one situation that Yanovich brings up, which again, I feel is very prominent to a lot of us, is supplementing thanks for sorry. If you have ever been late, I am notoriously late. My ongoing joke is that I was born an hour late. Dear listener, this is Natalie in edit. <laughs> I was not born an hour late. <laughs> Who could possibly be born an hour late? I was born a day, no, two days late. <laughs> I was born two days late. That might make more sense. Um, I'm going to go again. Bye. And I never made up for it for the rest of my life. I've been late for everything. Um, I do 100% suffer from time blindness. So I regularly turn up to places and say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I totally intend to be on time and then I get distracted doing something else. I can only apologise. I'm so sorry. Now, Yanovich gives a really good um, situation where four colleagues are sitting in the restaurant waiting for a work meeting and they're waiting in number five. When he turned up, he said, hi, thanks for waiting, guys. That's it. Everyone just said, you're welcome, and carried on. There is no better time for us to say thank you instead of sorry. I think something we're all very guilty of is talking to friends, family, partners, and immediately saying, oh, I'm so sorry for complaining, but I just blah, blah, blah. Or I'm sorry for venting at you, but we're in a loving environment. We're in an environment where we should feel safe. So instead of apologising, we should then start with or end with more likely, thanks for listening. Thank you for just being here. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to me complaining. We don't need to apologise. These things happen. We we as humans are social creatures. We want to talk to one another. We want to vent. We want to share our experiences, whether they're good or bad. So often that does mean complaining and venting. And that's okay. So we don't need to apologise for it. Instead, we thank the person for listening to us. We thank them for being 
a supportive friend or being someone who doesn't mind listening to our seven minute long voice memos because I am that person. <laughs> I just want to get it all out and tell you and then I will absolutely start it or end it with, oh, I'm so sorry for complaining. So from now on, I'm going to make a conscious effort to say, you know, thanks for listening or thank you for taking on all of my complaints <laughs> instead of apologising. So probably my favourite quote from uh, Maya Yanovich's TED Talk was, I've been interrupting these apologies for three years now. I'll do it everywhere. I'll do it in the parking lot. I'll do it to total strangers at the grocery store and line somewhere. 100% of the time when I interrupt another woman and say, why did you just say sorry for that? She'll say to me, I don't know. And that's it. Why? Why are we doing it? We don't know. We're so socialised to say sorry and diminish ourselves for who we are that we can't stop ourselves from saying sorry and apologising for existing. <laughs> Just being in that moment, being there, talking to someone, asking for that document that we asked for two weeks ago that still hasn't arrived. If you look at it in an even bigger scale, when I look at my CV, I often think, oh God, someone's going to look at that and just think, what has she been doing? I've jumped from job to job quite a lot. And what tends to happen is I get bored. I get to a point where I've hit a wall. I know that I'm not going to get any further. I know that I don't want to learn anymore. I know that I've kind of fell out of love with the job. I've just had enough and I want to leave. The thing that makes me nervous is looking at my CV and seeing that there is so many jobs and there's so many things that don't actually seem to connect to one another. So, for example, working in the children's residential unit, how did I get from being a residential worker to then or being a, a housing benefit officer? Those things don't necessarily link together and they kind of seem a bit far apart. <laughs> and then how do you get from being a housing benefit officer to working as a performance coach. Those things could not be so far apart. <laughs> they are wildly different. However, every role that I've had, I've picked up a skill. I've put another feather in my hat. Um, from working in the residential unit, I learned very quickly how to deal with stressful situations, how to not panic and be flustered. I learned how to talk to the police without feeling absolutely traumatised and terrified. <laughs> and housing benefit, I learned to deal with very, very upset people on the phone. You, you sympathise with them because you understand where they're coming from. You've got that really deep feeling of empathy of, God, you're just someone at the end of your tether. And all of those things led me to my customer service job where I am just now. And I'd developed all these great skills of patience and empathy, understanding, you know, just being able to crack a joke to ease attention, but do it in the right time, in the right place to not make everything worse, <laughs> which is something that I used to be very bad at because when I get uncomfortable, I make a joke. <laughs> I also found that working in the housing benefit side, I was able to look at data and go, that's not right. That, that shouldn't be there 
that then helped me with being on the phone to customers and going, I think you're lying to me, you know, and just being able to, and just having that sixth sense of something's not quite the way it should be. And when we look at all our past experience, we tend to just look at the job. This is what the job spec said. Therefore, that means that's what I done. But that's not true. You are your own individual person. You're not a job spec. You're not a job advert. You are a person who went in and analysed data. You're a person who went in and brought a team back from the brink of breakdown or was able to motivate a team to push their sales through the roof. You showed that you were able to create a really loyal team through excellent leadership. Even if you've been a stay-at-home mum for a long time, that is organisation, prioritising tasks. It is working under pressure because I don't know if you've ever been in the general vicinity of a toddler or multiple children under the age of five, but it's quite stressful. (laughs) And these are all things that we can look at after the fact and try to bring together to show all the skills and all the traits that we have. If you are a woman applying for a job, I really, really recommend sitting down and going through your CV with a fine tooth comb. Get on LinkedIn, look for buzzwords, look for words that jump out at you. Yes, I've done that. I have been the leader of a team. Yes, I've done that. I have collaborated on multiple projects. When did you collaborate in a project? Well, me and someone else from a different team worked together to get this paperwork ready in time. That's collaborating in a project. Yeah, I'm absolutely driven. I pushed myself from being a housing benefit assistant to being a housing benefit assessor. And I've done that because I didn't want to be an assistant for the rest of my life. I wanted to push forward and get there. I was driven to get to that next role. I am a completely responsible person. Am I a completely responsible person outside of work? Absolutely not. No. (laughs) But in work, yes, I am a responsible person. I will get that paperwork to you in time. I will make sure that you have that report when you need it. And all these skills and all these traits, we kind of forget that we have because they're just for every day. They're just life. Write them down. Put them on LinkedIn. Go to a CV building website. There's some that you can pay as little as £5 and get a really, really nice CV. There's some that are completely free. Reach out to people on LinkedIn. Does anyone know someone that could help me with a a CV? Preferably for free. (laughs) Reach out to friends. I I think it was a long time ago, I had posted on Facebook that I was applying for jobs. I was so frustrated because I wasn't getting anywhere. I can't even remember what the post was, but I think it was just something to do with the frustration of applying for jobs. And someone commented on it saying, is your CV up to date? And I said, yeah, it's up to date, but it's just like a standard CV, isn't it? And she said, well, part of my job is looking at people's CVs and reorganising them and redesigning them so that they look a bit more pleasing and an employer is more likely to choose yours based on the information and the appearance and so that they highlight the best bits about you can you send me your cv and i'll do the same for you that was mind-blowing just the kindness of other people she had everything that i already had it just looked so much more comprehensive that cost me a bottle of wine and i gave her a bottle of wine to say thank you very much for this and a box of chocolates she didn't have to we barely know each other we know each other through a family friend It was just a really wonderful, kind thing to do. So if you're in a spot where, 
okay, maybe your CV's not looking the best. Maybe your LinkedIn could do with a bit of love. If you're going to apply for jobs, spend the time. Do it. The discovery call I had today with Fusia Wellness, that came from LinkedIn. I very rarely use LinkedIn, to be honest. It's not something that I, I use very often, but I've started to use it more and more. And because of that, I'm seeing more and more of these opportunities coming up where people are reaching out and they're saying like, oh, I really like what you're saying. I would like to get in touch about X. And those opportunities don't come unless we seek them out. And a lot of us aren't inherently that confident because, as I said previously, in a societal way, we are made to be submissive. Outright confidence isn't really something that goes hand in hand with being submissive. So it's time for us to turn that around. Let's end on the great words of the wonderful Dolly Parton, which are, you know, even when I've lost, I still feel like I'm winning because I'm so, I'm earning some sort of experience for something else that I can use somewhere else. Now, that was a nice positive way to end. So you go, be wonderful, be yourself be everything that you hope you will and can be and I will see you here next week. Do not forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating anywhere that you can. I'd really, really appreciate it. In time, I'm eventually going to be doing possibly the subscription to the podcast and then we'll be doing some like Patreon type stuff um, in the background. Don't know what that's going to be like yet. If there's anything that you would like in particular, please let me know. Do get in contact. You can find me on Instagram on Life Coffee and Frantic Hair Dye. You can also email in to lifecoffeeandfrantichairdye at gmail.com. Anything that you would like to ask, you would like to hear, please give me your suggestions. I would love to talk about things that you want to hear instead of me just having an almost hour of thoughts coming into your ears. But as ever, I've enjoyed being in your ears. I've hoped you have enjoyed me being in them. And I'll see you later, pals. 